Morning. morning. Welcome to this beautiful September morning, launch Sunday, as we say. Looking forward to the rest of the morning. We are in the book of Acts, as that uh, video illustrated or, or introduced in this series called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So you have a copy of Bible, you can open up there. Um, We'll get there in just a second. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, those of you who are uh, students of the Bible would know perhaps that it's probably the big, one of the biggest chapters in all of the New Testament. Maybe in all of the Bible, from theologically speaking. So we're going to be here in Acts chapter 2 for three weeks. I don't have to get it all in this morning. And why are we going to be here in this uh, chapter for three weeks? We're going to be here in this chapter for three weeks because of the central character of Acts chapter 2, which is the Holy Spirit of God, okay? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit who is God, okay? The Holy Spirit who is God. That is to say, we believe in the Trinity, just as the Father is a person, manner of speaking, God the Father, just as the Son, Jesus Christ, is a person, so the Holy Spirit is a person, a person you can worship, a person you can pray to, a person you can rely on every day of your life. In fact, I hope that you do that today, even before you get out of here in a new way, okay? This is the Holy Spirit of God that we are going to focus on some here in Acts chapter 2. Now, what happens here in these verses that we will read Um, It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words, we looked at them last week, as he said, get ready for it in Acts chapter 1. What happens here makes everything else possible in the Christian life. Okay, What happens here makes everything else possible. Without it, discipleship, which is pretty much the whole Christian life, discipleship would be inconceivable Okay, without the Holy Spirit of God. There would be no true understanding of Scripture. Do you ever talk to people that go, you know, I don't understand the Bible. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You can't understand it truly. The true meaning of the Scripture wouldn't be impossible to truly understand without the Holy Spirit of God. There'd be no true fellowship with believers, right? That is to say, if you're a Christian and you have a connection with people, I mean, people that are not related to you, different skin color than you, all kinds of things that are different, but there's a connection that you have with other people who know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's called the fellowship of the community, the fellowship of the body. That would be impossible without the Holy Spirit of God. There would be no such thing as Christ-like character. The reason some of you are here today, the reason you know, imagine many of us come to church. I've been a Christian for a long time. My sins, in a manner of speaking, were forgiven uh, many, many years ago. I was a college student. But I continue in the Christian life because I'd like to become more like Christ. I want the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, you know, self-control. I want to become more like Him. That would be impossible without the Holy Spirit of God. And certainly, there would be no effective witness. There'd be no point in me. I would not be able to share the message of the gospel in a meaningful way with anybody else who didn't know Christ without the Holy Spirit of God. Your understanding of the Holy Spirit of God, my understanding of the Holy Spirit of God, and your growing dependence on the Holy Spirit of God is the most important factor in your progress, in my progress, in becoming a follower of Jesus. Full stop. Right. 
Now, what I want to talk about this morning, just as sort of an intro message to this chapter, is the power for new life. The power for new life. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Listen carefully to these words. When the day of Pentecost came, it was a Jewish festival, they were all together in one place, 120 people, that was the early church. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? They'd come for the day of Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They were from all different countries around that part of the world. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking, the 12 apostles most likely, and others, Galileans? Then how is it that it is each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God, the gospel, in our own tongues or languages. Amazed and perplexed, They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine to drink. Okay, now, let me say something quickly. On the day, when the day of Pentecost came, what's the day of Pentecost? In the Jewish um, faith, Right, All the early Christians, everyone in this story, by the way, so far is Jew. All, even all these people that are mentioned, Jews, it mentions that. Okay, Christianity is a, you might say, is a movement out of Judaism. We all know this, Jesus was a Jew. So in, in the Jewish faith, out of which the Christian faith comes, there were three pilgrimage festivals. That is, what is a pilgrimage festival? Where people that were Jewish, wherever they lived, they might have lived down the street in Judea or in, in, in somewhere up in Galilee, but they might have lived in another country. They would come, it was part of their faith, to Jerusalem. Three of them. They're two in the spring and one in the fall. Here's what they are. Pentecost, excuse me, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Outlined in the Old Testament. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now these three festivals all had theological significance. First of all, most of us know the first one, Passover. Many of you could say, what is the Passover? You remember the Passover was, goes all the way back to the Exodus. And the point of the Passover, the, the, the people of Israel had celebrated this for over a thousand years to commemorate God's deliverance from Egypt. And what happened on that fateful night, on that amazing night, fateful night though, hard night if you were an Egyptian, was the death angel came in this little part of Goshen, this little community, this little neighborhood in Egypt. 
They were called to, to, to sacrifice a lamb, put its blood on the doorpost and above the door, and then the angel came through, and the firstborn in Egypt, even the animals were killed. It was this horrible night, but nobody in the little town of Goshen. And finally, the Egyptians said, you can leave. It commemorated the Exodus. So there was theological significance to the celebration of the, Exodus, or for the, of the Passover. But there were the, all of these festivals also had agricultural significance. It was an agricultural in, uh, uh, community, right? And the three, uh, the three great festivals had these significance. Passover was connected to the barley harvest. Pentecost, which was 50 days later, that's where Pentecost means, 50th. 50 days from the Passover was the end of the wheat harvest. And then tabernacles, which was now in the fall, was the end of the fruit harvest. But what happens here is, when the day of Pentecost came, I'm taking a minute to tell you that because it's so important. This was the Passover that had just happened at the end of the Gospels. Was really, in, in a manner of speaking, the end of Passover. Because all of the Passovers for a thousand years, when they would slay the lamb and they would eat the Passover meal, now came to an end because they all pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundations of the earth. Jesus was crucified the day before the Passover, if you know your, your Gospels, and he rose from the dead the day after it. And 50 days later, the last Pentecost, it was not simply the celebration of the wheat harvest, it was a celebration of the soul harvest when the Spirit of God came down. And by the time you get to the end of this chapter, there are thousands of people. It is the launch of the church. So this is what's happening. And the people that are following, the crowd came together in bewilderment and they say this question. What does this mean? What's going on? Now it's going to take me three weeks to answer that question. What does this mean? But let me say a few things by way of introduction. What does this mean? Number one, maybe the most important thing I'll say this morning is this. It means God keeps his promises. That's what this means. God keeps his promises. Now, what, do you t what, what promises is he keeping? Well, one of them is obvious. One isn't as obvious. The obvious one is this. What you see happening here is, you only had to read back one chapter. There's, no, there's not a long way you have to draw the line. What Jesus said to his disciples in chapter 1 and, and the, in the early church, listen, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. The next major movement, maybe the last major movement in the God's plan to redeem the world, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen in a few days. Jesus doesn't always say that, right? Sometimes God makes a promise. We don't know when it's going to happen. In a few days. Turns out to be 10 days. Wait for the promise of the spark. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened. That's what's happening. And Jesus said, we've talked about this before. And if you go back into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all John the Baptist even said, probably a year or so before this. So it wasn't new. He said, listen, I'm baptizing you with water. That's what John did, right, of baptism and repentance. I'm baptizing you with water. But the day is coming where the Messiah is going to come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's exactly what's happening here. God keeps his promise, but that's not the only promise being kept here. This is not only the beginning of the Christian church, 
If you heard people say that, Acts chapter 2 is the birthday of the church, they're right. It is also the renewal and the restoration of the Old Testament people of God. You might say in one moment, the Old Testament people of God become the New Testament people of God. Remember, who's in this story? Jews, devout Jews from all over the world. Let me show you a quick map. Why have these geographies in here, uh, Rob? Luke, why did you bother? Nobody even knows what these things are. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, etc., etc. If you look at this map, very quick uh, point being made here. What you see here, kind of from right to left, from east to west, are two things. The countries where the Jewish people in the 6th and 8th century, go back to your Old Testament, were dispersed, number one. And they were cut, they, now they know they didn't live in Jerusalem anymore. Remember the exiles. So they're coming back for the day of Pentecost. It's also a map. What you see on the east is what we'd call modern day Iraq and Iran. What you see in the center is, is what you'd call Asia Minor or Turkey, where all the early churches would start later in the book of Acts. And you end up here also with the country of Rome, which represented the, Jew, or the Gentile nation. So what you see here, is not only the beginning of the church, but the renewal and the restoration of the Old Testament people of God. Listen to these ver- words. How, where do you get this from, Rob? Ezekiel, verse, chapter 39, verse 20. Listen carefully. You've probably never read this prophecy, but hopefully you'll see it in new light. This is a 600-year-old prophecy. When the nation of Israel was in exile, in Babylon. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, that's another name for Israel, and will have compassion on all the people of Israel. And I will be zealous for my holy name. They will forget their shame and their all their unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land with no one to make them afraid. They had lived in the promised land for a long time, but they were exiled because of their deep unfaithfulness to the covenant. When I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, we just read about it, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. In this moment, It's the beginning of the church, but it's the restoration of the Old Testament people of God. The Old Testament people of God become the New Testament people of God. The Old Covenant becomes the New Covenant. And this not only goes back to Acts chapter 1, it not only goes back to the the Gospels, it not only goes back 600 years to the book of Ezekiel, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where God said, listen, I'm going to take a nation, and through this nation, I want to bless all the nations of the world. God keeps his promise you say well what does that got to do with me listen everything right why is this important because with the gift of the spirit a whole new series of promises are made available first corinthians chapter 2 
What we have received, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, is not the Spirit of the world. People are like, what's happening here? The baptism of the Spirit. But the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Paul's saying to the, to the early church here, saying, listen, I, God has given you a Spirit. Why? Because God has given you many, many blessings. He's given you many gifts. And the purpose of the Spirit is to help you realize, to help you understand, to help you appreciate, to appropriate the many things that God has given you. There's a whole new suite of promises that are made available when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Which according to Paul, everyone's a Christian. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We've all been baptized by the same spirit into one body. What are those, Rob? They're too long to list, but let's say a few. What are the things God has freely given us? The forgiveness of sin, strength, compassion, wisdom, power, insight, spiritual hearing, a future and a hope. Listen, the desires of your heart and many, many more things. But you need to know these promises You need to pray about these promises and you need to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit of God because the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God is to make these promises real in your life. You've probably heard this saying, you know, be filled with the Spirit. Is it the same thing as the baptism of the Spirit? Yes and no. In one sense, the baptism of the Spirit, Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 12, it's the same thing as saying when you become a Christian, that day you get the Spirit of God. That's not what happened here. This is after the fact. This is acknowledging the baptism of the Spirit. To be, say to be baptized with the Spirit is another way of saying, I'm a Christian. My sins have been forgiven and God has given me the Spirit. It happens once in your life. It happened to me when I was a college student. It happened to some of these people recently. But the filling of the Spirit, it's a metaphor. It means control. That's something you and I should be praying for all the time. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He says that to a group of Christians. What it means to be filled with the Spirit is to pray, to know the promises of God, which are many, and to pray about them and to ask the Spirit of God to make them real in your life. Okay? Many people are Christians today, maybe in this room, but you've lost the joy of the Lord. You've lost the power of God. You've lost the understanding of Scripture. You you didn't stop becoming a Christian. You're no longer depending on the Spirit of God. You don't need to become a Christian again, but you might need a feeling of the Spirit. Okay? God keeps His promises. He's made many of them to you and to me. They become real to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Second thing, quickly. This passage tells us the gospel is for every culture. For one brief moment, what does this mean? For one brief moment, the divisions in humanity, where did they come from? That were expressed through language, language is a key part of culture, where for for one brief moment, they were overcome. Now, some of you don't know this, but some of you do. You can write Genesis 11 in your notepad if you have a notes. But the divisions of humanity, which, listen, we are living in today. Much of the conflict in the world today is because of um, differences. Oh, my goodness. If we live in a day where there are cultural, ethnic, racial divisions, they are manifold in the world today. 
I mean, I can't imagine they've, they've ever been stronger than they are today. Where people are divided over the differences. Language is an illustration of those differences. It's a key part of culture. But for one brief moment, these differences were overcome. These differences, if you're a Bible believer, originally, Genesis 11, were a judgment. Why? Because God said, go and fill the world and subdue it. Go out there and be the image of God. And they said, no, we'd rather do our own. We want to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower. We're going to, we, want to, we want to be our own God, our own boss. And as a judgment, languages were a judgment. Okay? But for a brief moment... Babel, so to speak, was reversed, okay? Now, let me say something about the gift of tongues. They're all speaking the wonders of God in their own language. When you, some of you don't know this, some of you, when you hear the term, the gift of tongues, right, if, if, if you've been in the Christian church for any time, that's not what's going on here. We talked about this in the spring, if you were here, 1 Corinthians. The gift of tongues, which isn't for everybody, it requires an interpreter, if you know that. Some have the gift of tongues. It's a prayer language. It's between you and God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 14. And you need an interpreter. And Paul says, it's not the most important gift. Don't be focused on it. That's not what's happening here. What you have here is the baptism of the Spirit, and then you have a miracle that's associated with it, which is people spoke instantly in other languages. So that the gospel could be heard and be un... The point of this miracle, though, went beyond mere communication. You might say, well, God's just trying to get the message out. But think about this for a minute. If the only point of this miracle was so that all these people that came from all these different nations could hear the gospel message, if communication was the point, then they could have spoke in Koine Greek, if you know your history, because at this point, the entire Roman Empire, they all spoke the common language, pretty much, which was Koine Greek. That was, if, if God just wanted to be simple and communicate, if communication was the point, they would have spoken in the common language of the empire. But instead, the gospel goes out for the first time, wait for it, in every language of the world. What does that mean? It means that one culture does not dominate. It means that the gospel does not flatten culture, but it redeems culture. It celebrates culture. Right? It is supposed to. If I'm a missionary and I go off to some place, I don't want to make you into an American. I don't want to make you into a Westerner. I want to bring the gospel into your culture. Right? God's making it. Let me say this. I don't know how many of you know anything about Islam. I don't know a ton. But I know this, that people who are serious Muslims, they would say, listen, there's only one language when, when it comes to the scriptures. It's in Arabic. And if you have a, a translation in a different language, including it'll usually say something like, this is a summary, this is a paraphrase. They do not believe that anything other than Arabic, you have actually the word of God vis-a-vis -vis the, 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 the story of Islam. Okay? In other words, Arabic is the language of God, you might say. And so is the culture. It's not true here. 
That's why this happened the way it is. In other words, if you have the Bible in Chinese, you have the Word of God. You have the Bible in Spanish, you have the Word of God. You have the Bible in uh, 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 Portuguese, you have the Word of God. That's what's going on here. It doesn't flatten culture, it celebrates culture. And God is expressing his ultimate intention, listen very carefully, what does this mean? To unite people of different cultures into one church. This is where it all ends. Note takers, Revelation chapter 7. It's the throne of God. It's his vision. What's around the throne of God? People from every tongue, every nation, every language, every people. That's where they are. This was God's intention. And you're seeing it here in this brief moment in Acts chapter 2. God keeps his promises. The gospel is for every culture. Last point in this introductory message of Acts 2. Every believer possesses the fire of God. Now, the miracle that we read here, this you know, dramatic miracle, violent wind, tongues of fire, all that happens in a few verses. It's told very matter-of-factly, even though it's Wild, right? Tongues of fire, whatever that is. It seemed, looked like, there wasn't actual tires of, fires of tongue, right? It says it looked like a, tire, a, a tongue of fire. And it was, it was like a violent wind. Or they're trying to describe something that's somewhat indescribable. It's, it's, it's a phenomenon. And then it says, people, right away, it tells you, what did they do? They were speaking, everyday Joes, Galileans, we're speaking the wonders of God in all of those languages we just talked about, those countries. That's what's happening. That, that's mentioned in a very, you know, newspaper direct kind of way. Most of the rest of this passage talks about the response of the crowd, okay? What in the world? They were utterly amazed. Aren't all these people... These are the people that they haven't been baptized with the Spirit. They're just watching this amazing thing go on. Aren't these people speaking um, in our own tongues? Aren't they Galileans? Now, to us, that might not mean. It's like saying, aren't these the unsophisticated people of Israel? That's what they're really saying. If you know anything about your history. They're saying, the people who are not only speaking the wonders of God, they became instant Bible scholars. They're talking about the beautifulness of the forgiveness of sin and all the meaning of what Passover was, what Pentecost was, the gospels for you. They're telling this and they're doing it in all the languages of the world like as if that was nothing. Aren't these people Galileans? What does this mean? Okay. Now, many of us, we all now know the name Oliver Anthony, don't we? Okay, I don't know. I'm not to break giving you telling me. Who's Oliver Anthony? Anthony Oliver. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Is it Oliver Anthony? Oliver Anthony. Let's call him Oliver Anthony. All right. <laughs> Two months ago, nobody knew who this guy was. I know it's his stage name. Two months ago, he was an unknown country musician living in a trailer. You all know the story. Some of you do. In Virginia. Um, had a drug problem and, and uh, wasn't doing so hot. And in July of 2023, he apparently has this moment with God. He comes to God. He comes to Christ in a manner of speaking. He says, God, help me. I, I'm, if, if you can help me get sober, I, I want to do something with this musical gift. And 30 days later, the first song, he, he lets out a song, which is the first song he ever published, not on his phone, okay? <laughs> he didn't have a production company, called 
the rich men north of Richmond. Is that how it's the name of the song? And in five days, this song has nine million downloads, and it's now the number one song in the country. I mean, in a manner of speaking, I only bring up that story to say, are these not Galileans? That's kind of the point. That's what they're saying here. But let me say something about this moment. Every believer possesses the fire of God. This visionary experience is best understood with the backdrop of Exodus 19. Listen carefully because I'm out of time. The backdrop of Exodus 19. What is Exodus 19? Some of you know it, some of you don't. It's just before the Ten Commandments. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father comes down. It's the only time I know that it happens. And he comes down to the top of a mountain. It's called Mount Sinai. And when he comes down, eventually he gives Moses the Ten Commandments in the next chapter. He comes down, two things happen. There's a violent shaking. And it says, God came down as fire. That's what happened. The same thing that happened here. But let me tell you the difference between Exodus 19, Old Covenant, and Acts chapter 2, New Covenant. The only person that could come up to the mountain was Moses. No one else was allowed to come up by, they would be, they would die. We can't go up there. Only Moses came up, and Moses came down. You remember this? His face glowed. Okay? Why? Because he'd become the fire of God. That is the presence of God. He experienced the power of God. What you have in Acts chapter 2, it's the same thing. You're supposed to get the day of Pentecost, but it's the last Pentecost, and the violent wind, so to speak, and the fire, it represents the presence of God, but this time, it's for all people. Okay? All people. Everybody. It starts with this Jewish diaspora, but before you get too far in the book of Acts, it covers the entire Roman Empire, okay? The presence of God, the salvation of God, the power of God. Now let me say something quick, and we're done. If we took a little video of this happening here, of the, these people being baptized, and put it on the internet, some people think it's great. Some people think these people have had too much wine. In other words, What? What are they doing here? What are these words that Peyton and other people here share? God has changed my life. Christ has come into my life. I, was, I had this problem. I, had that, I was an atheist. And God came in and did something in my life. They'd say, these people have had too much wine. It's one interpretation. But what really happened to these people is they are celebrating what had happened in the near past they've been baptized with the holy spirit of god okay so that's what happened now let me say this there's three kinds of people in this room according to this we're ending so this is an application listen carefully one is there's people in this room who've been baptized with the holy spirit which simply means that you, the Spirit has come into your life. doesn't mean you have the, the, the phenomenon. Not everyone that's baptized in the Spirit speaks with new languages or does miracles. That's, those don't, things don't always go together. 1 Corinthians 12 says, everyone's a Christian has been baptized in the Spirit. 
So there are people in this room who have been baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit of God has come into your life in response to faith in Jesus. And you have a testimony like this one. And even if you were baptized like I was many years ago, I still have a testimony, you still have a testimony, and if you were to give your testimony this morning, it would be as fresh as this one. In other words, you're, you're, God is still in your life, you're in a manner of speaking, you're not only baptized by the Spirit, you're kind of filled with the Spirit, and you, maybe you know how to do that. There's a second class of people in this room who've been baptized in the Spirit, you've received Jesus as your personal Savior, maybe last month, maybe 25 or 45 years ago, but the joy of the Lord is no longer in your life. You no longer have power in your life. You know, let's put it, the, the, the Spirit of God has no longer made the promises of God real in your life. What you need is not to become a Christian. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Which if you, when we look later in the book of Acts, even the apostles were filled with the Spirit again and again. They didn't become Christians a second time. They surrendered their life and learned how to make surrender a way of life so that the Spirit of God could take control. That's what some of you need. Maybe many of you need. And then there's a third kind of person in this room who just came here to, I don't know, witness a baptism and think, I don't even know what you're talking about in here. I've, I, I don't know anything about the baptism of the Spirit. And I've, never, for, I've never come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior ever. I don't even know what that means. You, you simply need to receive Jesus as your Savior. In response to that simple faith, God will send his Holy Spirit into your heart to begin to release some of those promises, starting with the forgiveness of sin. Amen? Amen. So let us pray. We're going to take just a minute to pray. Every head is bowed. Every head, uh, eyes are closed. Just listen to me for a minute. and let me, I'm just going to address the second two categories in this room, okay? Number one, if you'd say to me, uh, Rob... I have, um, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for some period of time, but I'm being honest with myself and you that I have lost the joy or the power of the Lord. I need to experience a new, fresh filling of the Spirit of God. I want you to just raise your hand in this room, up high, just for me to see. Thank you, you can put it down. And second, I want to say this. If you'd say, you know, Rob, I have um, been to church a time or two or maybe a hundred times, but I've never received the forgiveness of sin. I've never come to know personally the joy of God, the forgiveness of sin. I've been truly forgiven of my sin. The Spirit has never come into my life. In that sense, I've never been baptized with the Spirit. Um, Raise your hand, if you would, in this room. Thank you. Just up high. Let me pray. Pray with me, if you would. God and Father, I pray for everyone in this room. First, for those who said, many, that they need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. You would hear their prayers. And Lord, it wouldn't, doesn't need to be dramatic, but it can be very real that the Spirit of God would come into their hearts, into their lives in a fresh way. And that you, Holy Spirit, would make the promises of God real to their hearts. 
May they know a deeper sense of your love, a deeper sense of your forgiveness, a deeper sense of your wisdom, a deeper sense of your spiritual healing. May they, be, may they know the true desires of their heart. May you, God, do a powerful work in their hearts, in their lives, in my life, I pray. And Lord, I also pray for anyone else in this room who raised their hand or didn't but wants to say, I, I'm not a true follower of Jesus. I'm on the outside looking in, but I would love to know the forgiveness of sin. If that's you, just pray in your own words, in the quiet of your own mind and heart, these words. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. And I ask you now, Lord, that you would send forth your spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, into my life that I might know the forgiveness of sins and a new intimacy with God that Jesus might become my Lord and my Savior. God, we love you. Hear our prayers, I pray. Be with us, I pray. Fall on us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.